It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Right here, Angel. How are you? And this week we are here for another installment of Wrestling Archives. Uh, Now, Tommy, usually you take over the Wrestling Archives there, but this week uh, I was reading over some articles and I, I ran into this one. And it it actually was a a huge focus on what we've been focusing on here on Wrestling Archives. And it's called the Unsung Heroes, the Journeymen of Professional Wrestling. So I'd like to get into that. And uh, there's a long list of of different guys' names. So, um, you know, I want to get into reading that and and just get your opinions on some. Because this is is all part of history. And all these guys were journeymen, a, a huge part of wrestling history. And... People that uh, you should be recognized more often. This is our whole point here in Wrestling Rewind is to bring you back and to, you know, expose that talent to you that maybe was underutilized or, you know, just not shown enough or they were used and maybe, you know, became journeymen, as they call them, or jobbers, as some will call them. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) so... I, I like to use uh, not featured. So they were there. Yeah, top of the card, like B card, maybe. Right. I don't know. How how would you describe the journeyman? Uh, yeah, but you know, when I like when I say, uh, we say lesser known, which really encapsulizes what we want to say. But since that sounds a little bit negative, I like to stick in here. Lesser known, not featured. Meaning they were there, they were good, but political. But they weren't guys who were going to be on the poster. Right, exactly. You know, so uh, here we go with with this. Let's add this. Oh, changing the layout here so that I could actually read this. And this was actually an article from WWE.com Classics. And I'm just going to credit that right there. Sure. So that we don't run into any problems. Uh, so we've been focused on this topic, so I'm, I'm yeah. excited to hear their spin on it. So this is the Unsung Heroes, the journeymen of professional wrestling. Now we got, what, the Conquistadors there and uh, yep. a whole and who lot. Knew, who knows who they were at any given time, you know? Right. Okay, WWE will always be known for its larger-than-life superstars, Muscular physiques, flashy ring attire, and cool catchphrases make them stand out in the mind of the WWE universe. However, 
Back in the day, a small group of sports entertainers were notorious for different reasons. Most notably, their proclivity for being on the losing end. These journeymen didn't have bulging biceps. Their ring gear was most likely a drably colored pair of trunks with worn boots and a stained jacket. Uh, No high energy rock music signaled their entrance. In fact, they didn't even have entrances. Though these combatants looked like they might be better suited as plumbers or electricians and had win-loss records to match, they still had the determination to step into the ring and ply their craft. They earned the, the silent respect of WW Universe, who often knew the fate of these competitors before the bell rang. Now take a look back at some of the WWE classic photos here. There's Barry Horowitz. We won't spend too much time on that. Uh, So for Barry Horowitz, asking why do we recline on this night and not other nights was not just a question for the Passover cedar as his shoulders were pinned to the canvas on most nights. A watch, uh, I'm sorry, a beloved member of the WWE roster for many years, the WWE universe likely recalls the self deprecating Horowitz patting himself on the back before matches, knowing full well the eventual unfortunate outcome. It only made sense for Barry to have that sense of humor. For him, it wasn't about the victories, but rather a dream come true of competing inside the squared circle, even battling back for a devastate from a devastating neck injury. In 1995, Horowitz was involved in one of the most memorable moments in WWE history on an episode of Superstars, the crowd became unglued when Horowitz un- upset Body Donna Skip, which was uh, Chris Candido, right? Leaving Jim Ross to exclaim the result in a state of shock. Despite losing the majority of his matchups on that night, Horowitz was certainly the chosen one. So he beat Chris Candido on TV. Yeah. <laughs> And not, not only that, okay. Did that proceed the pat on the back? Because he definitely yeah. deserved one for that. Yeah, his ring jacket had a hand on, print on the back. Now, I'll tell you something about Barry Horowitz, what maybe people don't know. He was the Florida heavyweight champion at Jack Hart. Now, I don't know what the time frame was. Um, I assume if he was working for Vince at that point, he probably wasn't going down there. So it might have been prior or it might have been after. I'm not sure. More than likely prior. Yes. So if you want want to look that up, Jack Hart, Florida heavyweight champion, he had no problem getting over as a top star. So, you know, these guys often that would happen, leave here, go to California and be, be a big name. So. So then we got, we got a Frank, the Moose Monroe. Yeah. You heard of Frank Frank the Moose? Oh yes. Many years ago. Yep. I just All right, remember so, Frank Monroe. He wasn't such a moose, I guess, when I <laughs> I guess not. But in the 70s, in the 1970s ring competition, few grapplers could match the imposing demeanor of the man straight from the thickets of Canada, Frank wow. Moose Monroe. With his beard, immense silhouette, and woolly physique, it doesn't take a Lanny Poffo to discover where Monroe earned his bullwinkle name. When it came time for WWE Superstar to earn his stripes in the days of disco, he was forced to tangle with the beastly gent from up north. 
Unfortunately, Monroe was more bullwinkle than Mark Miser and was often on the losing end of his contests, like most of them. The Moose succumbed to the talents of several WWE Hall of Famers and legends, including Tony Atlas, Chief J. Strongbow, High Chief Peter Maivia, Tito Santana, Ivan Putski, Bob Backlund, and Haystacks Calhoun, just to name a few. So yeah. God had a, a long career there in the 70s. Yeah, and if, you know, you, you got to realize this. A guy that's that big and imposing, um, even if he's a kind of a jobber, you know, for a little bit, you know, you're wondering, I don't know, he's a big guy, anything can happen. So, uh, and then also in beating a guy that imposing, means a little bit more, has a little, wow, our guy, but top guy must really be something. Because, you know, he handled this big guy with no problem. So yeah, I mean, look at him. Yeah, big guy. He's a beast. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have the Los Conquistadors, which we all love. And I would venture to say different guys at different times. All the time, right? Yeah. So there's not a, a whole lot of information known about these golden-clad combatants. They seem uh, to like it that way. WWE Hall of, Famer, Hall of Fame ring announcer Howard Finkel introduced them as hailing from the ambiguous somewhere in Latin America, leaving oh. WWEclassics.com chances of tracking them down somewhere between slim and none. The <laughs> The masked men competed in WWE rings throughout the 80s, mostly as cannon fodder for the dominant team of the era, like Demolition and the Hart Foundation. The Conquistadors, however, did find some success appearing as part of a 10-man Survivor Series elimination match at the 1988 edition of the pay-per-view. They were one of the final two tag teams in the match, but ultimately couldn't handle the brute force of the powers of pain. The Conquistadors ventured back to their mysterious Latin America abode until they seemingly returned to action in 2000, defeating the Hardy Boys for the World Tag Team titles. It was soon revealed that Edge and Christian had donned the hoods to outsmart the champions, leaving the WWE Universe to wonder what happened to the original masked competitors, which... Uh, like they could just keep using the conquistadors and yep. just put anyone under those hoods and just like use them for signings, yeah. and, you know, like who knows who's under there. At and one point, do we think that it was uh, the Rivera's? I think I, maybe I, I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you, you can see the shape of the face. Maybe if it's somebody that has a particular, you know, look, walk, you know, but for the most part, they just switch those guys in and out like crazy. Right, like Ding Dong one and two. Yeah, and think it is. If a mask, a famous masked guy, he has to wear his mask when he goes to an appearance. It would be nice. Nobody knows who he is. Right. Okay. So I don't know. Then we got the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty. Ask any New York. Yeah, that that should sound familiar to you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that should sound familiar. To you. Just about it. <laughs> so ask any New York Yankee fans what they think the average Bostonian looks like, and they might paint you a picture of Pete Dirty. A slight hefty frame, a long flowing mullet, and a toothless grin that only a mother could love made up the man known as the Duke of Dorchester. Named in honor of the Boston neighborhood he called home, 
I'm saying Doherty, is that right? Yes, Pete Doherty, yep. Doherty was a longtime WWE competitor, stepped into the squared circle throughout the 70s and 80s. The Massachusetts madman approached the ring like a ball of fire, bouncing around and climbing all over opponents in the beginning of the matches. But once his foes caught on, uh, it was curtains for Doherty. <laughs> Repeat losses aside, the Duke of Dorchester was beloved in Beantown, drawing cheers from a cult following at venues like Boston Gardens. After stepping away from the ring, uh, Doherty tried his hand at color commentary before retiring from sports entertainment. So I yeah, guess he was do too good there. <laughs> colorful, colorful character. You know, any fan. If he was so colorful, I wonder what happened with the commentary. I wonder why he just couldn't, you know, keep it going. I, know. I you know, I didn't know that how long he did it, but I did catch a couple of the broadcasts, and he was he was perfect. Um, you know, real character, real kind of wild guy. But the thing is, he could work with a broomstick, that guy. So, you know, and make it look good. So Yes, you know, so what's the problem? Well, short-lived. He he retired. I, I wonder why. You know, like, some, some things like, are, are unknown for a reason. Some things like, are unknown for a reason. Who knows? Yes. I think he, uh, by the looks of him, he looked like he always had a half a bag on or, you know, was recovering from a couple nights out. So uh, who maybe knows? a lot you of know. double shots, you know, yeah. Yeah. one of those overused guys and underappreciated. Yeah. And next we have Iron Mike Sharp. Oh, yeah. What a trip he is. Yeah. Working out with the any furniture laying around in a room. Mike Sharp would just yeah. pick up a chair and start doing arm curls with it. Lift the table over his head. Yeah. Like Working out to him was like so old school. It's like, yeah. you know, like the Flintstones working out. So Iron Mike Sharp, uh, this competitor from the Great White North dubbed himself Canada's greatest athlete. At the start of his career, uh, he may have been able to make an argument for that title. Sharp, who stood at over six feet tall and weighed close to 300 pounds, entered WWE in the early 1980s and immediately challenged the then WWE champion Bob Backlund for his title. Unfortunately, Iron Mike Sharp did not capture the championship and was never the same. He competed in WWE throughout the 80s and 90s in search of the victories that became more and more elusive as time passed. Sharp let out gruntles, grunts throughout his contests in hopes of intimidating opponents and even wielding a leather arm brace, which may or may not have been loaded with a foreign object, all to no avail. Though his win-loss record was not the most impressive, Sharp is well-remembered by a generation of fans, and a generation of fans who he also had a school for, who he worked a lot with in New Jersey. A, a lot of guys come out of Mike Sharp's school up in Jersey. You know, he yep. took time with some people and, you know, uh, really put his time in. So, bravo to Mike Sharp. Well, uh, you know, also, with, you know, because this is uh, generated by the WWE, um, of course, there's a lot of missing information. And of course. What's missing is his career outside of WWE. So um, if, give me a minute. Let me see what I can do here real quick. Um, you know, he had a long run uh, in many, many places as a top star, not just, uh, you know. Mike Sharp, yeah. Yeah, not just the feeder to the champion, but um, second generation also. Um, father and uncle, and uncle were Mike and Ben Sharp. They also competed as a tag team. Um, he went to school in Asbury Park. 
But if we um, see his career, you know, and you could do this on your own, you'll find out, you know, he was uh, in Gene Kaniski's NWA All-Star Wrestling, became a two-time NWA Canadian Tag Team Champions um, with Moose Murawski, uh, Mid-South South Belts, uh, also Tag Team Champion, Louisiana Champion two times, Mississippi title, along with the Brass Knuckles title in 79, Stampede in Calgary, where he held the Stampede International Tag Team Championship. So, you know, um, wow. th- there's a lot more. Uh, and most of the guys, that you're, again, not to be redundant, a lot of the guys you're going to see that are in this list elsewhere were bigger stars. And you didn't have all this media to find out what they were doing anywhere else. You know, you just, right. they just went elsewhere. And if it was covered, it was covered in the magazine. But nobody ever looked at it. I was probably one of the only little idiots, you know, figuring out, well, when Butcher Joe Nova leaves WWF and goes to California, he's the America's champion. When uh, John, Johnny Rods, who's a jo- you know more or less a journeyman for WWF, goes to Los Angeles, he's Jabba Rook and he's the America's champion. Many, many you know, examples of that. So right. um, that's good to know because if you like someone and you never quite saw them in the spot, you know, the, the spot that you would like to have seen them in, you can go back and, and research this and find out that, yeah, he held titles is probably video, you know, so it's, it's a nice little investigative uh, job, you know. It's all about what wrestling rewind is about. Do you That's go right. rewind and go back in history, you know, learn a little something you didn't know. And then uh, next up we have Dwayne Gil, Gilberg, yeah. uh, in January of 1999, the bullhorn sounded the sixth entrant, entrant, that's what it says, in the Royal Rumble match. And out from the entrance tunnel came the man they call Gilberg to a thunderous ovation, stumbling through a truly unimpressive uh, pyrotechnics display. The relatively <laughs> unknown <laughs> caused Jared Lawler to sarcastically exclaim, he could win this whole thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, not quite. Gilberg leaned over the ropes, mugged for the camera, and was quickly disposed of. Par for the course uh, for this goateed underdog. But Dwayne Gill wasn't always a cartoonish parody. In fact, Gill was a reliable grappler for many years, battling a, a, a who's who of WWE superstars throughout his career, including Goldust, Chris Jericho, The Undertaker, Mick Foley, Bob Holly, Sean Waltman, Billy Gunn, the Steiner brothers, and Shane McMahon. In fact, Gil even defeated Mark Merrow in a match where Merrow declared he would retire if he was unsuccessful. In 1998, Gil beat Christian to win the WWE Light Heavyweight Championship. I didn't know that. The victory yeah. would quickly go to his head as Gil morphed into a persona that resembled a certain former WCW champion, and perhaps it worked. Gilberg would go on to be the longest reigning light heavyweight champion of all time, holding the title for well over a year. And uh, the man that will always be called Dwayne Gill might be more known for his goofy antics than his ring proficiency, but the crowd will always be chanting his name. Now, and I mean, he took that really for a ride through independence. He was, I mean, back and forth. I mean, he was booked everywhere. You saw Dwayne Gill everywhere. I had him on my shows at the, uh, I think once at the trop. Um, The funny thing is 
it's so cool. But what they did was, you know, of course, that is nothing but, you know, not even an inside joke, an inside outside joke. Uh, you know, all of that was just to make fun of uh, Goldberg. That's a long way to go. Right. Fun of another company. For a joke. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of energy put into. You know, you must really have a bug up your butt. You know, if it bothers you that much that this guy got over. But it was funny about Gilbert. Like, uh, I guess Goldberg, whatever tattoo he has. But Gilbert, he, he had, there was little square, little um, rectangles. Triangles? Like, right. with space in between. All the way around. I, was, I don't even know if it was real. I think it was it was painted on, you know. But, um, yeah, he started screaming down the hallway at me about his room or something. And I was like, chill out, bro. You know, I mean, lucky that you're getting a room. Where, where were right. you getting a room at that point? You know what I mean? Right, but right. But listen, you know. Dumber, dumber gimmicks have, have, have made, you know, been successful. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that wasn't the worst one. Uh, and no. probably, you know, it's funny, it's funny, it's humorous yeah. and more marketable gimmicks that they could do uh, while they're being sarcastic and making fun of someone else. It, it, yeah. it was good. And he yeah. really, you know, he played it out great. And, you know, he took it places where probably a lot of other guys wouldn't have been able to, to do that. Yeah, you know. or they would have just, when they left Vince, they would have just dropped it, you know. But he was smart enough. Well, look at Ray Apollo. You know, when he goes, he goes in his in his clown outfit because, again, like a masked wrestler, if Ray Apollo was standing there dressed in street clothes, only a few of us would know him. Yeah, you're, you're not going to know who you're looking at. <laughs> but imagine right. you got to do that every time you go somewhere. you got to put that outfit on. Right, right, exactly. That's dedication. That's dedication. Certainly does. <laughs> I know all about putting outfits on here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, next we have the Continental Nobleman. Yes, my man. So built from Catania, Sicily, Joe Turco was an odd was as odd as a slice of square pizza. The man that referred to himself as the Continental continental nobleman removed his robe in front of wwe crowds over the course of several decades which usually followed with a dismissive wave of his hand turco pulled his tights up high over his belly <laughs> twirled the sides of his mustache and gave condescending smiles to wwe fans who knew full well that the, the continental nobleman would not be smiling in a matter of mere minutes Despite rarely achieving victory, Turco was consistently distraught over the outcome of his matches. When opponents would attempt helping Turco from his from the canvas for a post-bout handshake, the Sicilian snob would brush them off in a fit of frustration. Hang in there, Joe. Maybe one of these days your matches will live up to your high Fulton moniker. Now, um, that's one of your favorites, right? Yeah. Well, you know, like I was going to say before, um, I forgot that point, is uh, there are certain guys that if you're a fan like us or a fan like me from that era, um, if I say the Continental Nobleman, you better know it's Joe Turco. If I say the Duke of Dorchester, you really should know that it's Pete Dari. Um, and, and again, these are the guys that tickle me to death. I mean, they're just such characters. And usually, um, I wrote this, and I want to I want to give a quick read. It's real quick. Um okay. What we're, what we're doing with this Wrestling Rewind is we're either in-depth interviews or stories or text about le many lesser, non 
featured talent responsible for building the foundation of pro wrestling by enhancing the performance of upper tier talent, many of whom are superior to the ones they support, which is exactly the way I wanted to say it. The way I mean it is exactly that. You'll find that no matter what, in order to be successful at that spot, you have to be able to work well with anybody. And if you can't, then you won't have that spot. Or maybe they'll push you to push you up because a lot of the upper tier guys weren't as great or as talented as some of the people that had to put them over. It's just a fact, right. you know. And you are you're just as good as the person that you work with, and sometimes that's proven. And, and a lot of these guys that you like to call jobbers and everything, but if it wasn't for them, there wouldn't be the the top card guys. Yeah. So you know, give credit where credit is due. And next we have Frankie Williams. Frankie's career in the ring probably didn't pan out as he imagined it. Still, regardless of his woes inside the squared circle, the native of Columbus, Ohio was still very proud of his job. Williams valiantly stood up for himself in a very heated edition of Piper's pit. When Rowdy Roddy Piper incidentally um, harangued (laughs) (laughs) about his shortcomings. After asking Williams whether he lost a match or not, Piper launched into one of his trademark tirades, saying that uh, doughy journeymen lacked the guts to succeed in WWE. Having enough of the rowdy ones verbal lashing, Williams made a bold move, grabbing the microphone from Piper's hands and declaring, I'm not afraid of anyone or or else I wouldn't be in the ring. Uh, the Ohio Ohioans' bravery earned him a few right hands to the temple from Piper, who literally threw Williams out of the pit. <laughs> so um, poor Frankie Williams. Poor Frankie. Yeah. And then moving on, we have Mario Mancini. Yeah. Here's a Mario who wasn't particularly super. A st- Astute members of the WWE Universe will remember Mancini, who, whose bushy mustache gave him a slight resemblance of the famous video game character he shared a name with. However, once the bell rang and his personalized satin jacket came off, Mancini probably wished he could warp to the Mushroom Kingdom, as he often found himself looking up at the lights when all was said and done. All kidding aside, Mancini was a capable competitor. He stood across the square circle from legendary names like the Macho Man, Randy Savage, The Undertaker, and when both were starting out and survived to tell the tale. In fact, Mancini acted as a gatekeeper of sorts to WWE for many superstars. The first real test of their careers, those who made it past him, WWE fans more than likely remember those who didn't. Well, Let's not talk about them, and I guess we won't. So next we have the Brooklyn Brawler, um, as this is probably one of the most famous jobbers in the business, I would say. Uh, Yeah, and I think famous for the fact that they gave him some wins, some notable wins every now and then. And he made a hardcore title, I think, possibly. I'm not sure. Yes, yes. A man with nearly 30-year career. Uh, Steve Lombardi has become one of the most beloved performers in the WWE's history, taking on roles as Kim Chi, Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, and even briefly under the masked makeup of Doink the Clown. 
Lombardi achieved his real notoriety as the cherished Brooklyn brawler. As hard-nosed as a collision at home plate, the brawler grappled his way through WWE in a torn New York Yankees shirt, a leather cap, and an all-American blue jeans. Despite having access to Bobby the Brain Heenan's managerial talents, the brawler didn't win many matches, but that's what might have made this man from the country, the county of Kings, so special. But don't think his win-loss record damaged his reputation. You'd never want to run into the brawler on Flatbush Avenue. He was as tough as they come, and a victory over the brawler meant a superstar's name was forever etched in history. While he may not have in many main events, he may not have been in many main events, the Brooklyn Brawler will never be remembered as one of them bums. So uh, they don't they don't consider him one of them bums. And we kind of closed out there with, um, let me see, hold on there for a second. Let me get that out of there. <laughs> uh, we closed out with the Brooklyn Brawler. And I think that, there was probably so many more that we could have gotten into, uh, you know, talked about their history. They, they jobbed out so many people. You think they would have had a longer list. Uh, maybe maybe you could bring up some people to add to that list of. Oh, I can think of quite a few people. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a another level. You know, there's a couple levels. Um, but in the long run, they're all kind of jobbers or enhancement talent. It's just some people, they push it a little further. Um, and, you know, when it comes to journeyman wrestlers, I don't think it only means the guys that are constantly putting somebody over. It's almost anybody under the top, you know, tier champions and just below, maybe they're not re really contenders. But there were guys years ago like uh, Buddy Wolf. Um, and, and I found out later on that a lot of the guys who I remember, their names um, – Turns out later on, I'm reading history, and they weren't considered, you know, like as big as they were in my mind. So I think it's all in the eye of the beholder, too, because you can read between the lines sometimes and see somebody that has a lot of talent and are just not giving them, you know, a, a decent push. Or, you know, guys that are built to have everything but are still green, and, you know, you don't want to damage them, so you got to watch how you use them. You know, different federations, different groups would either – WWF had a, a constant, you know, 15, 20 guys, Silvana Sousa, Juan Caruso, all these guys, you know, Bull Pometti, there's tons of them. And instead of like maybe filtering more different people through, they kept doing that to the same guys, which means they're pretty much pegged. They can't be used for anything. You can't bring them really up the car because it's not feasible in the, in the people's minds. So I was thinking today of a couple people um, that – would fit in the next tier up, maybe almost like a Brooklyn brawler would be like Chick Donovan. Uh, okay. Golden boy, Chick Donovan. And then he had fabulous Frank Monty. There were uh, a lot of work. Their work was done in California, but they were more, uh, again, like the um, nature boy type, uh, pretty boy, blonde hair, that kind of thing. Like and Gary, uh, Gary Young, the Italian stallion, yeah, all those guys, you know, like yeah. it goes and the ding dongs. Actually, those guys have a long history of, you know, Randy and Bill Mulkey, uh, right. 
just like did so many different gimmicks under mass. They did like the Russians. I think yeah. uh, whenever like you know Russians had to have like a match, they got under the mask and then they actually did Russians at one point, I believe, yeah. under masks yeah. and suits. So they were probably, I think. Jim Crockett's most overused yeah. <laughs> job. And you could tell it was then, it was the thing. Yeah. But no seen the mind. No one minds no. it. And if you've ever seen the most horrific bump I've ever seen is one of the Mulkey brothers getting thrown out over the top rope and taking the back bump right on the floor from outside, from inside the ring to out. Oh, they, they took hellish bumps. Yeah. Hellish. So what I'm going to do right now is uh, what I did. Uh, I, I Googled, since we're on the subject, I Googled the term wrestling jobbers. Okay. okay. Now I'm going to share the screen with you to show you what okay. comes up. So, and, and this is what's considered, this is from sources across the web, as you'll okay. read, right? First in line, Barry Horowitz. Yep. There we go. He was truly an enigma with his ranks with the jobbers as oh, a job. Okay, so he says about Florida right there. Yes, and lost, lost and lost as Jack Hart then won the Florida Heavyweight Championship. Okay, yep. and then we got the Brooklyn Brawler, SD Jones. Yeah. Well-known jobber in WWF, Brooklyn Brawler, was a cult hero. He helped wrestlers get over and create a cult following of his own. All right, S.D. Jones, yeah, 15 of 19, he lost to King Kong Bundy in eight seconds at the first WrestleMania event, and uh, that may have been his claim to fame. And yeah. then you got Dwayne Gill, uh, but before he reached comedy wrestling, Dwayne Gill was a big part of WWE's transitional new generation era. Okay. And then we got Mike Sharp again. Uh, Lake Jones would beat the lesser jobbers on a regular basis, always using his controversial rubber forearm band. And, oh, Johnny Rods. Yeah, on, yeah. Right? A, Not many jo job guys reach the WWE Hall of Fame, but exactly. in the case of Johnny Rods, it's well-deserved. Uh, you know, part trainer, part enhancement talent. You know, Johnny Rods is a, is a talented guy and got a lot of people – uh, trained and in the door and through the business. So um, in his time, you know, may have been considered a jobber, but, uh, you know, he, the, the king of, the of getting in, you know. Um, and then we got the gambler. The Jeff, Gam Jeff Gamble is best known for his run as enhancement talent in World Championship Wrestling from 93 to oh, 90. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I don't. Yeah. And I was I was around there. I, I don't I don't remember that. Okay. Um, oh, this is a funny one. Oh yeah. McFoley. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, didn't look like someone who could end up as one of the biggest stars in WWE. Uh, however, you know, was started out as a jobber thanks to oh. development of his character in WWE. So they consider McFoley a jobber. Yeah, I mean, I saw old old, old video of him on. WWF, you know, broadcast when uh, I don't even know if he used what, he, what name he was using then, but uh, right. I do remember that. Yeah, long time yeah. ago. Squash is USWA, and at first, uh, his first entrance into NWA, Jim Crockett NWA. As a matter of right. fact, he was he was getting squashed by everyone. So okay, and then we got George South, yeah. uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling's greatest jobber. 
Seth was the victim for everyone. He got his ass beat by every champion there was, which was big claim to fame. And uh, then, as I mentioned earlier, the Italian Stallion. Uh, Gary was one of those guys who was more popular after he stopped wrestling. He toiled in WWF, WCW, and the NWA. And then we have Kurt Henning, for some reason, is considered a jobber. Did you know that? No. Uh, I mean, yes, I the former WWE Hall of Fame wrestler wasn't always so perfect in the squared circle. From 82 to 84, Henning worked as the opening matches on most AWA shows. Wow. So, uh, yeah, Jobber, Kurt Henning. Who knew, Who would have known? This yeah. is Google. Well, this is Google is, saying this. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the difference is, you know, it started out, but he didn't stay. Exactly. Oh, no, they well, they they say that. I'm not reading the whole article because you know yeah. who got all night to read all of it. Uh, and then we have Dusty Wolf. For some reason, they got his birthday there. Like uh, I don't know why. Uh, he's best known for his run as enhancement talent in the World Wrestling Federation from 1987 to 1993. So, all right, enhancement talent. And then we got Rusty Brooks, uh, Kurt Koski is best known for his run as enhancement talent in the World Wrestling Federation from 1984 to 1988. I believe he just passed. Oh, did he? Oh, it's a shame. Uh, And then we have Mark Starr, who is uh, one of the few jobbers on the list to have a pay-per-view experience on his resume, losing to the likes of Alex Wright and Sergeant Craig Pittman. And then we got Barry O. Poor Barry O. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Barry Orton is best known for his run at an enhancement talent in the WWF from 1985 to 1991 and otherwise known as the boy who got touched and yep. spoke up and spoke out about the perverts in the WWE and the WWF back at the time who were diddling him and a lot of ring boys and what happened to poor Barry Orton, right? Yeah. Poor Barry O. It's terrible. I mean, there's just like there's that story, there's many, many more. A million more. And next we have Lanny Poffo, who you may remember the Young Stallions when the WWE paired him alongside Jim Powers. I, I remember Rick Martel, but okay. Yeah. Another jobber that makes this list, again, success was limited. Now, Lanny Poffo, I don't know if I agree with them on this one either, because even though he was a jobber, he had a gimmick. Yeah. You know? yeah and they true. had promos, and, and like, yeah. you know, they, they put him over enough. So, I I mean, maybe a top card jobber. Yeah, uh, also, got, I believe it was, uh, was uh, Paul Roma and uh, – Jimmy Powers. Exactly. Paul Roma. I'm sorry. I misspoke. I said no, but I might, maybe they made a mistake because I don't remember them, those two together. Okay. And then we got Tiger Chung Lee, a oh. former headliner in New Japan Pro Wrestling to open match jobbers in the WWF. Lee had a brief push in the tag team with Mr. Fuji. Yeah. I, I don't Lee. remember him being a jobber at all. No, no. I, neither do I. Uh, PJ Walker. Uh, was a WWE enhancement talent, debuted in 1993, and did the job on an almost weekly basis for other wrestlers and helping to establish stars that is a... um, What's his name there? P. 
PJ Walker, what's his name? Uh, just incredible. Uh, yeah, that's and that was Aldo, the Portuguese man of war. Uh, Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war, right? Okay, so that that was his was that run. The was that yes, the yes. Okay. A Portuguese man of war, right? That was it. And then uh, right after that, he started it started ECW. Yes. I actually brought him in a locker room, so, but I won't get back into that. Uh, then we have Paul Roma, who we mentioned, uh, to think he was once a tag team partner of Arn Anderson. Tisk tisk, Roma as a good-looking, well-built dude who got his head butt beat. I don't know. So, yeah, Paul Roma, I, I, I don't know. Is he still active? I don't know. Still hanging yeah, around? No, I saw him doing some show. Um, a lot of the stuff I don't necessarily agree with. Again, uh, this is from Google. We're yeah. reading from Google. So it, it's sure. considered, you know, a lot of people put spiteful things in search engines yeah. and Wikipedia's yeah. and whatever people read on there. And a lot of times it's wrong information where people yeah. are labeled wrong. But they are saying that, you know, they used to be. And then some of the sure. talent then developed from more than just jobbers. Then we have Frankie yeah. Williams is best known for his run and enhancement talent in the WWF from 1975 to 1985. Wow. wow. I was born in 1975. This dude was working already. I graduated okay. in 76. Oh, shoot. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Then we got uh, Jose Luis Rivera, yeah. which we all know. Uh, if I was doing the top 11, he'd be there. I don't know uh, what it was about Jose, but I always liked watching him open the matches for everyone in the WWF. Everyone. Yeah. Uh, and Jose's son, also Jose Luis Rivera Jr., um, okay. you know, did his time. And, yeah. you know, they did. Yeah, they were great over in Puerto Rico. They, they did a lot for everyone. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Colt Cabana. Huh. I'm not sure uh, why he's on this list either. He's kind of a younger sure. dude. Has become successful due to his podcast, The Art of Wrestling as the indie superstar has used it as a vehicle to promote himself, which is probably, I guess, why he's on this list, not so much because he's a jobber, right. but because they want to exploit him in his podcast. So, yeah. uh, all right, uh, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> and then we have Tim Horner. Began wrestling in the late 70s and bounced around the territories in the South, learning his trade. He later joined Jim Crockett Promotions, which was where I know him from. Uh, I thought... Tim Horner and uh, the Brad Armstrong combination as a tag team was great. A, a little jobberish, you know. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of times you knew that if they, if uh, Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner uh, wrestled, uh, you know, uh, friggin' the Italian Stallion and Gary Young or whatever, you know, you knew that they were going over. But then right. if you saw Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong and the Road Warriors were coming down the aisle, right. then. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? You you knew like uh, how people stood as different levels yes. of jobbers. You know, yeah, they had their spot. Yeah, not really considering Tim Horner a jobber. Yeah. Uh, and, and around since the seventies, I, I didn't know he was yeah. around that long. He always looked kind of youthful. Yeah. As far as I was concerned. Then we got Mario Mancini, as we mentioned earlier. He still wrestles occasionally and trains future pro wrestlers in Puerto Rico. Could you imagine? Still, no. Mario Mancini uh, is a oh wow. That, that's amazing. I did not know that. So, um, 
He must have had some connection uh, to uh, Carlitos to uh, get that gig, you know? Yeah, and they're, I mean, Carlito never going to stop doing appearances and, you know, that whole family just got it yeah. me. Got it me. Well, he probably had a, a good connection with the father, Carlitos Colon, I would imagine, um, because he's old enough to. So he probably, you know, in their dealings, because uh, the father, uh, Colon, Carlitos Colon, was Carlos Colon, was, uh, I think he was pretty tight with the New York office. Um, I think they were an affiliate or something at some point, too. Shared right. talent, you know, that kind of thing. Well, a lot of these uh, uh, journeymen or jobbers that they shared on this list, and again, this was from a WWE list and a Google, just a random Google search that I just looked up randomly yeah. because no, I about I it. Think it's, Not our opinions, it's, it's yeah. Google. But I think that they skipped a, a whole lot of people from different promotions that probably should have been there in there. Like, yeah. uh, you know, there were a lot of original jobbers that, you know, with a lot of original names. Uh, when promotions became spiteful, like ECW, for instance, they would, you know, take their jobbers and name them after local promoters like Joel Hartgood, yeah. and Dino Sendoff and, and uh yeah. Just had a whole bunch of different guys with, with different names to just like, you know, dig at different. They didn't yeah. use Dennis Carluzzo. They never did a Dennis Carluzzo jobber, which I was I was shocked that they didn't, you know, take advantage yeah. of that since they were always I mean, at they, odds with they Dennis. They did a bigger number on him anyway, though, so. Right, right. Yeah. And as far as like independence, like I, I just don't really know who would be considered jobbers on the independent circuits or if there even was any, you know, everyone's just lucky to be on the show. <laughs> yeah. And, and not only that, you know, yeah, that's jobbers back when we were out there saying you know, up until almost 2000 and going back, you know, 10, 15 years, I can't really think of anybody. And not only that nowadays, everybody wants to win. So either the matches are very competitive or they're screw job finishes or, whatever. So I don't see anybody being considered a jobber today. You know, the thing is a lot of, uh, a lot of people, even of our time that we shared locker rooms with, you'll now see matches of them on YouTube all mm -hmm. these decades later. And the title it, it, within the title, it says stuff like WWE jobbers. And, yeah. and I'm bringing this up because it kind of irritated me the other day, uh, Gary Wolf, who's doing a, a podcast over there, uh, shared some some footage that someone shared with him off of YouTube. And it's like everything you look up under the, what the pitbulls were there, it's like WWE jobbers. The yeah. pitbulls, and WWE jobber Gary Wolf. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah, someone feels it that way. And I don't ever remember them being like jobbers. But the thing is, a lot of people that we worked with in NWA New Jersey – and the independents from uh, this area where we are were really the guys who were on the dark matches and the opening yeah. matches for WWF, WWE, um, back yeah. in the 90s. So, you know, uh, a lot of those people, I guess, will have to wait a couple decades for, for uh, the people that we know as jobbers right. to who actually make the list, like people yeah. like Derek Domino and, and Chuck right. Williams and uh, Mike Tarras and, you yeah. know, people like that were, were always on TV. Getting, I mean, Chuck Williams got his hair cut, you know, yeah. got his hair cut. He took uh, every finishing move 
between him and Derek Domino, uh, every finishing move in the 90s of every wrestling superstar. And I don't see Derek Domino or Chuck Williams on that list, but I should. (laughs) So they maybe need to add to their material on Google. Yeah. And, you know, that's a a wide, a broad term, too, because there's so many, seems to be so many. Well, let's face it. We know it's changed throughout the years. So, you know, typical jobber, whether it's a, uh, there is none on TV that I know of. You know. There's guys that do a job, but that doesn't mean they're, they're jobbers. Um, That's right. They're doing that 50-50 booking, so, you know, can't really be jobbers. I mean, I remember J- Jake, the Milliman, Jake the Milkman Milliman. He was an AWA guy. And uh, he had, like, short hair, but he had his long little tail in the back. A stocky, short, stocky guy. And I never got tired of seeing him try to win, you know. Um I knew I knew what the business was, but I just appreciated his effort. And uh, I don't I think he was kind of like wherever last person we talked about who was, uh, you know, like um, what's his name? Um, Duke of Dorchester, where, yes. you know, where he's in his hometown, like they go crazy for him. So, you know, even though they had to suffer at the hands of, you know, the, the, the bigger guys, the, the guys that were up on the card, at least once in a while they got in their area. You know, they got a bunch of people to come for him. And it didn't matter what they were winning. You know, and, and the fact that it's work, if you're getting a paycheck for 10 years. Right. Your job, your job is to be a jobber. As long as you're getting paid, you got a job, yeah. you know, and be proud even, of that job. Even the way they wrote that was like, you know, um, the guy, I'm sure he didn't intend on, you know, looking up at the lights every night. It's not him. It's not up to him, you know. You know, I just found another list that I quickly want to go over because I think it's funny that we're talking about when you look things up, you know, Wiki and Wikipedia and everything. And I just wanted to see what their definition of jobber would be because it's so funny what newer wrestling fans think that these terms mean. So I'm going to just go to it here for a second. Um, (laughs) And I looked it up. I was real specific here. Professional wrestling jobbers. And yeah. it's 107 pages, which we won't go, we won't go through all wow. of them. But it starts at Angel Acevedo. Acevedo. Yeah. Phil Apollo, Omar Atlas, Chuck Austin, Jerry Balisca, ba- Bal- Balisak. Yeah. Patton Twins, Mikey Bats, Mike Bell, Salvatore Balomo, Bobby Blaze, The Blue Meanie, uh. Brady Boone, Mike Boyette. Oh, Mike Boyette. Uh, Mike Boyette was the best, man. I look oh, forward to Mike Boyette all the time. Oh, yeah. He was my favorite jobber. Uh, Bob Brady, Rusty Brooks, Brickhouse Brown, Denny Brown, uh, Duane Bruce, Bullpain. Huh. Yeah, I remember Bullpain, actually. But he yeah. became a gimmick later. He did good. Scott yeah. Casey, Porkchop Cash. Uh, Jesus Castillo Jr. Los Conquistadores. They got them on every list. Uh, yep. Eon Couturio? Couturio? I, don't know that I don't know how to pronounce that. Dangerous Danny Davis. Mike Davis. Colin Delaney. Dominic Danucci. Chris oh. Duffy. The Duke of Dorchester. Ruka Eigen. James Ellsworth. Jose Estrada Sr. I'm surprised they just didn't put Junior in there as well. Yeah. Adam Flash. Shoshai Funaki. 
Jimmy Jack Funk, Brian Gamble, The Gambler, Tony Gurria, Gilberg, Joe Gomez, Renee Goulet, Luke Graham, El Gran Luchador, Dr. Hannibal, Swede Hansen, Barry Hardy, Hardbody Harrison, Tim Horner, Barry Horowitz, Kentaro Hoshino. 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 Sam Houston, the Italian Stallion, the Job Squad, Kenny J, SD Jones, Mike Quarry, Kim Duck, Kenjo Kimuro, Kimura, excuse me, Rocky King, Nick Kinski, Roger Kirby, Killer Kyle, Tommy Lane, Vito Vito Lagrasso, Steve Lombardi, <laughs> Joey Mags, <laughs> Mario Mancini, Frenchie Martin, Scott McGee, Mike Miller, Jake Milliman, Moondog Rex, Moondog Spot, Barry Orton, Outback yeah, Jack. Which one? Cousin, cousin Luke, Gene Pettit. Gene, oh, Gene Pettit, Lanny Poffo, Jim Powers, Buck Quartermain, uh, the, the Renegade, Reno Riggins, Jose Luis Rivera, Rip Rogers, uh, Harry Sato. Sato. Mike Sharp, George South, Luis Piccoli, Dennis Stamp, Steve, Steve Stan Lee, Bobby Starr. Oh, Bobby Starr, who we'll be having on soon. Jim Steele, Tom Thorne, Chase Tatum, Survival Tobita. Never heard of that one. Paul Vachon, Del Vesey, Bobby Walker, George Wells, Pez Watley, Dusty Wolf, The Young Stallions, Mark Young, and Buck Zumoff. And that is Wikipedia's wrap-up of who I see, the job I, I see what they did. Yeah. This is taking, not taking into consideration any high marks in their career. This is just at one time, those guys were jobbers. Yeah, yeah, they were on the list, and they were like, "These are the guys. These are the guys who make the big guys look big." But a lot of them did go on to have decent careers. Pistol Pez Watley, you know, even Buck Zumwalt. He was a junior heavyweight champion for the AWA. Another, another criminal, right? Um, you know, so uh, I think that's what they're basically saying that you know, at, so, at some point, you know, I think because Tony Garia. They have him down, but he was a tag team champion with Haystacks Calhoun. So right. I think it's probably accurate. It's just that they're not saying that not all of them stayed jobbers. And a lot of them did have a, a decent career after that. Most of those guys were, you know, big names that went after the champions, even like Paul Vachon, all those guys. What did, they, did they say crazy Luke Graham? I don't, I don't think Luke Graham was in there. No, no, obviously no, not. But, but uh, uh, yeah. That, that's a, a pretty much covering the rewind of, of, of the uh, the jobbers or journeymen or however you like to, to, to refer to them as. And they're all the, the people that really laid the ground for this business. So whatever you like to call them, thank God for them. Yes. If it wasn't for them, there would be none of you. So remember yes. that as you're uh, trying to claw your way to the top, those ones that are on the bottom are the ones that are helping you up. Exactly. Be appreciative of them. Uh, So I thought this was a lot of fun, actually, just to 
know, take a rewind on the on the journeyman in wrestling and, and really focus on, you know, the, the people that maybe we're going to be talking to in upcoming interviews and whatnot. So uh, you get to look forward to that. And I, I've enjoyed this episode and I hope you have as well, Tommy. And yes, I hope everyone joining us. Yes, anytime we're talking about the past when wrestling was wrestling, I'm in. I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode of Wrestling Rewind Wrestling Archives and hope that you'll join us back for another episode here on uh, the YouTube for Monty and the Pharaoh, where we're going to be on every Sunday night at seven o'clock for Wrestling Rewind. So catch us back here next week uh, for my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. I am the Virgin Princess Angel saying, have a nice night and a nice life.